It is Friday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back with you for another day. Final show of the week and a good one at that. Bobby Nightingale from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk about the Twins. Not just this year, but definitely framing this towards 2024. Who stays? Who goes? What do the te- What does this team need to do to kind of build on this season? And there's going to be some challenges. They've got some pretty important free agents, some pretty big decisions. And as Bobby will note... Not a good chance that the payroll will go up. In fact, a pretty good chance the payroll will go down next season from where it was this year. Over $150 million this year. Um, expected to go down next season for a variety of factors. Maybe some younger players coming up. And also the Bally Sports North contract and, and their TV possibility. That contract up at the end of this season. All sorts of stuff going on with that with Diamond Sports in bankruptcy right now. In fact, there's been some movement on that this week. That might impact the Twins' bottom line next season and could impact their payroll, Bobby notes. So a lot to consider as you think about who they might be adding next year, who they might be losing. Sonny Gray at the top of that list. Other you know, other decisions on Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco. Bobby will lay out who he expects will be back, who he expects will go, and how the Twins might kind of bridge the gap in between and try to keep that roster you know, robust for 2024 and beyond. Um, some interesting umpiring stuff left over from the playoffs that I want to get to. The Twins were certainly not the beneficiaries of ball strike calls in the postseason. I've got two pieces of evidence to support that statement. We'll get to that here at the end of the show, as well as one more sad trombone fact about Twin City sports, at least for the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. First, though, what did I miss? Not a sad fact about the NHL on Thursday night. The Wild win their opener 2 to nothing. Could not really have gone much better in terms of how they want to play and in terms of who scored the goals. Even disallowed goal was some good news for the Wild. Philip Gustafson makes 41 saves in the 2-0 shutout in the opener against Florida, which very good team. And they were in the Stanley Cup Finals last season before losing to Vegas in that uh, in that finals. So Wild actually outshot in this game by roughly a two to one margin. But Philip Gustafson very good in net. The defense was good. Um, they they didn't give up a power play goal obviously because they didn't give up any goals at all. And the goals they did get first one from Brock Faber really relieved some of the pressure that they were facing early in the game. Florida came out with a flurry. We're out shooting the Wild something like nine to two early on, but Faber with a shot from the point gets his first NHL goal. He is being relied upon heavily this season on the blue line with no Matt Dumba and then early on no Jared Spurgeon. Um, so that piece of it is, is good news for them. They could definitely use some offensive production from their defenseman. Brock Faber gets his first goal, the hometown kid, played for the Gophers, jumped right from the NCAA title game last season into the lineup, went straight into the playoffs and performed very well. Um, was a great guest on this podcast a few months ago. Really enjoyed getting to meet him a little bit more. So a guy that a lot of Wild fans are rooting for gets the first goal of the whole season and really gets them on their way to that win. Second goal from Joel Erickson-Eck. That's great news for the Wild. He, of course, missed all but like 17 seconds of the postseason trying to come back from an injury. You wouldn't expect it would take a whole lot to get him back, but I'm sure shaking off the rust and getting a goal in his first game back has to feel awfully good for Erickson Eck. 
And then there was a disallowed goal. We don't usually pay attention to disallowed goals, but the disallowed goal was Marco Rossi. It would have been a big one for Marco Rossi. It was called back because of offsides upon review, but it was a nice goal. More of that for the Wild would be something uh, something that they would definitely benefit from this season if that third line can get going, if Rossi can give them something from that third line center spot. That would give them more, more balance, of course, and put him on a path that he needs to be on because they really need him to stick on this roster this season if they're going to have the kind of talent and depth they need without having to pay a whole lot for it because, again, they are tight up against the cap, as we've talked about, less than a million dollars in cap space right now. And that was the only bit of bad news from this game. Marcus Johansson injured in the third period, did not return, don't have an update on him as of yet, but a roster that's perilously thin. They came into the season with the minimum 20 skaters, you know, two goalies, six defensemen, 12 forwards, 20 players on the ice, you know, and, you know, not carrying anybody extra because carrying someone for, an, for even an extra day costs you on the salary cap accumulates. So will be interesting to see what they do if Johansson has to miss time, how fast they call someone up, things like that. Again, maybe a little premature because he did just leave the game and we'll not, we're not sure what his status is. But little things like this, they're going to have to watch all season long as they try to balance the, the immediate needs with not trying to get too far close to that salary cap to make sure that they're not, you know, getting into negative territory and getting pinched before things ease up a little bit next season, things ease up a little bit at the trade deadline, things like that, trying to store up that space so they can make maybe a move or two at the deadline. So that was the only negative from a night of overwhelming positives, two to nothing win for the wild Gustafson after that big off season contract after last last year's surprising start gets the win, gets the start, gets the shutout. Couldn't have gone much better for the Wild. First of 82, and we'll see where they go from here. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Bobby Nightingale from the Star Tribune right now. Um, dragged him out of bed. Now, he was out of bed already. He has to get up early like the rest of us. He's got kids like the rest of us. Then they they get him up early. But uh, you would have been up even earlier if the Twins were still playing, and I imagine that would have been a lot of people's preferences out there in Twins land. But season ended Wednesday night, did not go back to Houston instead you are here to talk to me today about kind of the path forward in 2024 and beyond. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, it, it's always abrupt when a season ends. I mean, and it's just kind of the nature of the beast, but especially in the playoffs, I mean, just feels like you make all these plans about going back to Houston for game five. And then all of a sudden season's over, um, you know, end of the year press conferences are next. Yeah. That's what it felt like leaving the stadium on Wednesday night. I was just kind of out roaming the, roaming the crowd, trying to grab stuff for the show that I was doing afterwards. And it was a, it was a weird game. It was, it was fast. There weren't a lot of scoring chances either way. It was just all home runs. There were very few base runners, even it just, it, you know, there was definitely drama and tension because it was a one run game, but even one run felt like a lot because the Twins just weren't getting any opportunities in that game. And really those last two underscored, you know, where they still maybe have some work to do on offense. Yeah, I don't know if it felt the same way to you, but like the crowd I felt like was more into it and 
game three, even though that was a more blowout score just because they had so many, you know, they had the bases loaded a couple times, more opportunities due to walks, whereas it felt like uh, game four, you know, the, the crowd was pumped after the Julian Homer and pretty much there on after. But I felt like before them, when your Kitty was kind of shutting him down, it was, he took the crowd out of the game, even though it was a two-run game, just because, um, you know, the lack of walks, the lack of base runners, where even even though game three was a bigger blowout, it felt like the, the crowd was more into that one. I know. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of like full counts, even where people were trying to get pumped up. I think all three of the strikeouts in the ninth inning came on full counts. It was just like people kept getting up, expecting something good to happen, and then it didn't. But overall, Bobby, how do you kind of frame this season? I mean, you came in kind of at the, you know, not at the midpoint, but early in the season, they weren't hitting much. The narrative was no offense for a long time. That gets going, kind of helps solidify their spot in the division. How, how do you kind of take the overall season arc and, you know, kind of describe where they wound up? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of offense was the thing that bit them in the first half of the season. It's the same thing that bit them in the postseason. Um, just didn't cash in enough when they had runners in scoring position. Uh, but I think this was probably one of the more well-pitched twins teams of at least the, you know, recent generation. Um, and so, I, you know, that carried them all season. Uh, Derek Falvey in the front office built this team on depth. I thought they did a really nice job in terms of, um, you know, if you look at Joey Gallo, um, you know, not producing the way he was supposed to. Byron Buxton misses a lot of a big chunk of the year. There's some other injuries. I mean, that that could have taken them down in previous years, but um, you know, they had the kind of depth to withstand that. And um, so, I mean, I I think it was you have to look at it as like a successful season in terms of where they were entering the year. You know, after collapsing last September um, in 2022. You know, winning the division was the big goal for a lot of players. They conquered that. They ended the postseason streak. Um, obviously, you fall short to the Astros. You don't get the ultimate goal. Um, but I, I think everyone, the clubhouse especially, they felt like they took a step forward. There's a lot to like in terms of the young guys that stepped up, Royce Lewis, Matt Walner, Edward Julian. Um, you know, the bullpen, the bullpen looked great at the end of the year. So, I mean, I, th- there's a lot of strides I think that they felt like they took um, just fell short against a more experienced team and um, Carlos Gray I mentioned it a few times where you know experience matters and um, it kind of showed in the the Astro series yeah I would agree with that and you know there's also this kind of idea that you take a step and then you know not that the next step is taken for granted but just getting back to this point in future years won't feel the same you want to keep making progress into that. And I think there's a lot of interesting questions heading into 2024. And let's, let's talk about, you know, one of the first ones is, you know, rotation depth and rotation quality was one of the big hallmarks of their success this year. Two of the five guys who carried that and especially Sonny Gray, but you know, Kent to to, to a, to a certain degree as well. Um, you know, both of those guys were rotation mainstays for much of the season. They are both free agents. How do you, assess a the likelihood of either or both of them coming back you know what the cost might be and beyond that like how do you how might they go about replacing especially someone like gray who isn't just rotation depth but a you know a top two top three type starter yeah i mean i think that's one of the big questions you know i I think sunny gray is more likely to go elsewhere just in terms of he had a great platform season in a contract year he's going to finish probably top three in the American League Cy Young voting. I mean, you can't ask for a, a better way to enter free agency. Um, there's a guy coming over from Japan, but he might be him and Blake Snell probably can compete for 
um, the second best free agent starter on the on the market this offseason. So I, I think he's going to command a, a pretty big salary. I, I expect the Twins will issue him a qualifying offer. So it'll be like one year, $20 million, And then if he signs with another team for more than $50 million, the Twins get a basically a first-round pick for it. Um, and that's what they traded to get Sonny Gray was their first-round pick. So you basically recoup the first-round pick you traded to get him. Um, so it turns out to be a good trade if that happens. But obviously replacing him, that's not easy. Um, that'll be the tall task. Kenta Maeda, I, I also pro- I'd probably lean towards him leaving. I, I think there's gonna he's gonna draw some interest. Um, you know, a guy who came back from Tommy John surgery, but he can log a lot of innings. Veteran guy. Um, curious to see if the Twins offer him a qualifying offer. Um, if the Twins say, hey, one year, twenty million, or um, you know, he can test his luck trying to get to a multi-year deal. I think that'd be a tough uh, opinion for him. You know, a, a tough decision for him. But um, I, I, I don't know if the Twins value him as a $20 million pitcher at this stage of his career when he's, you know, 35 years old. Um, you know, looking at internal, you know, Chris Paddock is going to jump into the rotation next year. The way he finished the year, I think you have to be really optimistic about that. Uh, Louis Varlin, I assume, is going to get another chance uh, to be a starter. You know, he, he looked great in the bullpen. That that could be always be in the back of your mind in terms of if you don't like the way he's developing as a starter, you can always turn him into a, a late-inning option. Uh, but they definitely could use another starting pitcher. I just don't know. You know, you saw what it took to get Pablo Lopez, and he was probably a number two starter when they traded for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's one of the more difficult things. Maybe in free agency you try to sign uh, another pitcher. But, I mean, you need depth. I mean, going into the season, they expected Tyler Malley to log a lot of innings, and he needed Tommy John surgery. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's low-cost options, but you're not going to find someone probably with the same impact as Sonny Gray unless um, – Either you have to offer a huge contract or you're going to have to trade something painful, which, you know, they, they have some trade pieces if they want to go that route. But um, I, I, that's always the toughest thing for any team is signing quality pitching. For sure. And they've done a good job of building that largely with trades. I mean, if you look at, you know, the the bulk of their rotation, you know, Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray this year, Kenta Maeda, Joe Ryan, all those guys came over in trades so they're not certainly averse to building their pitching that way so you know you certainly wouldn't want to rule that out and that's certainly a better way sometimes to do it for a team that has to take cost into account because you send money out even when you're bringing payroll back in i mean is internally is there a candidate not just to be in the rotation but to be you know to kind of jump into that top three. I mean, Joe Ryan was pitching really well before he kind of hit that midseason slump that coincided with his injury. Bailey Ober has pitched well, but if you think of both those guys in the postseason, they didn't give either one of those guys a terribly long leash or long outings. Is that indicative of how they feel about them internally, or do you feel like they think the ceiling is higher for those guys or even someone like Paddock or Varland? I think I like the ceiling on Joe Ryan. Um, I, I think part of it was just it was a do-or-die game, el- yeah. elimination on the line, and um, that's just, you know, when you have a fresh bullpen, why not? That's that's the route they chose. So, um, I, But I, th- I think they see him as like a guy who could be a number two or number three at his best. Um, he's going to have to do it for a full season. He did it for, you know, flashes this year, but um, even with time on the injured list, he almost finished with 200 strikeouts. I mean, um, you look at where Pablo Lopez took his big jump, his strikeout rate went way up. Um, you know, was healthy for a full season. Um, so he, he could kind of follow that pattern if everything goes right. Um, but he's going to have to take another step. And, um, you know, that, that might require him adding another pitch or finding another way to make his fastball more deceptive. Um, Bailey Ober, you know, 
crossed his uh, most innings he's ever thrown in a season. That was a big step for him, I think, personally. Um, you know, staying healthy, being strong at the end of the year. I know the postseason didn't go the way he wanted. Um, but, you know, it, I think those are quality, like, number three options where Pablo Lopez is the number one. Um, but if you're looking at, like, replacing a Sonny Gray where you're a guy who could get Cy Young votes, um, you know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if they have that on the roster. I mean, maybe Chris Paddock, if he's at his best. Um, you know, he looked really good out of the bullpen. Um, but it's another thing to say, can you do that for 180 innings next year? I mean, I, th- I think that's a tall ask. Yeah, and it's going to be hard for them to take a step forward, I think, if they don't have one more, you know, one more guy like that. They they hadn't had that for a long time, and it's really the reason they went into this playoffs believing, I think, that they could not just, you know, get there and be competitive, but could win a series or two, and they did end up winning that series. And if you look at the, the Toronto series, I mean, Lopez and Gray, what they pitched – 10 and two thirds combined of one, one run ball. I mean, in the game they won against the Astros, Lopez has seven shutout innings. I mean, starting pitching, starting pitching in offense, obviously timely hitting carry the carry the day in the postseason, And hard to imagine. It's just hard to visualize a postseason next year. And maybe, you know, maybe it's not exactly who they go into the year with. They, they certainly can add along the way, but it's hard to visualize having the same, opportunity in the postseason without having that kind of one, two with the starters. So I'm, 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 I got to be watching that this offseason to see what they are able to add there on offense. Bobby, it feels like the two biggest questions are pick up the options on Max Kepler and, or Jorge Polanco two longtime twins been with the organization forever had productive seasons this year. Kepler, especially rebounded nicely. Polanco, you know, came back from injury and was an impact player. Where do you think those two guys stand? Yeah, I would assume, I would assume both of them are going to get their options picked up. I thought both of them played well enough, especially Kepler in the second half, um, where, where their assets. I mean, not saying you couldn't pick up their options and trade them, but I think it's very affordable. Um, both are in the $10 million range where, um, you know, I, I think there are decisions to make in terms of like Polanco. Where does he fit in the infield of Edward Julian's your second baseman? Brooks Lee's at AAA. Austin Martin's at AAA. Um, you know, you have some depth. Willie Castro, um, you know, I, I thought did well in a utility role. So, I mean, you have guys that it kind of fill your infield. That's a position of strength. Um, so I think there will be questions about him. But, I mean, Max Kepler was an everyday player at the end of the year. I mean, he did a nice job rebounding from his poor first half. Um, breakout season. He's a quality right fielder. Um, you know, gold glove quality defense at times. So, I mean, I, th- I think $10 million, the $10 million for that, especially the power he provides. Um you know, the veteran presence, I, I think that's probably the a no-brainer, especially when you look at the outfield. It's not as crowded as the infield, so I, I think that makes the most sense. Blanco for $10.5 club option, I think it makes sense to pick it up. I just wonder, you know, you could also pick it up and trade them down the line, and I, I think that's going to be something that's going to be weighed is how, how do you view this infield a year from now? Because um, you're going to have to make those decisions this offseason. I look at the offense, they scored three runs per game in the postseason. They were stymied for a lot of the early part of the year. They definitely got better in you know the last two or three months of the season, coinciding very nicely with the ascent of Royce Lewis. Um, you talked about Matt Walner, uh, Julian, those guys really stepping up and, and kind of picking things up. That said, you get to the playoffs and you looked at it and, man, uh, Houston's offensive depth it really showed you looked at the twins lineup 
you know, once you got past five, nobody was really hitting in that series. They could sure, if sure feels like they could use at least one more kind of quality veteran bat in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, Derek Valley might look at that and say, we have those guys. They need to do it. You know, Carlos Correa did not have a good regular season. Byron Buxton didn't have the year they hoped he would have. And there's all sorts of questions about his health. How do you think they view their lineup and their their kind of offensive capability and, and the possibility of even adding in 24? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think payroll is, is probably going to go down just based off the Bally Sports. That deal expires. You have a, that TV contract that was paying them 50 plus million dollars uh, this year that's going to go away and um, they're going to have to find out, you know, find a new revenue stream. They'll, they'll have a new TV deal. It'll be shown somewhere, but um, making the money up, it's probably not going to be as high as it was a year ago. And it seems like, it seems like that's a trend throughout baseball. Um, you know, the Padres are cutting payroll. The Mets say they're cutting payroll. So, um, you know, I, I think that's going to be a theme this off season. You're going to see that a lot of teams, um, but I, I do think they have to add a bat, but I don't, I, Free agency, if you look at it, like Matt Chapman's one of the top free agents out there. I don't think there's a ton of free agent bats um, that are impact quality. Then I think that's you're, you're probably going to have to find a bounce back option. They tried that with Joey Gallo this year, and it didn't work out at all. Um, you need you need a healthy season for Byron Buxton. He knows that. I mean, he said, um, you know, after the game, yes, after game four of the loss, he said first thing he said is, "I need to get healthy, whatever that takes." Um, and someone mentioned surgery and he said, Hey, if that's what it takes, you know, that's what I'll do. Um, they, they haven't discussed what he, he told the training staff before the playoffs started. Don't tell me what I have to do after the season. Just let me focus on the playoffs. And so he didn't really know what the next step was for, you know, a healthy knee. Um, but that's gotta be priority. Number one. I mean, I, I remember talking to Dallas Keuchel, um, in between the, the two rounds, the wild card round and the division series. And he mentioned, you know, he's like, think how good our offense would be if we had a healthy Byron Buxton. He's like, we've done a good job kind of filling that hole in terms of Correa stepped up in the wild card series. Royce Lewis, um, you know, turned into, you know, the, the star of the show in the second half. Um, but he's like, we really miss, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't think people realize how much we miss Byron Buxton's bat um, in the lineup. And he's like, I thought we did a good job kind of filling that and not making it look as obvious. But then, as you mentioned, like the Astros lineup, how deep it was and how many guys they have, um, you know, like Jose Abreu hitting in the bottom half of their order. Um, you know, you need guys like that. So I, I, I think it is a priority where you have to add an impact bat where, you know, if, if Pablo Lopez was the huge trade that turned their 2023 season into what it was, I, I think adding an impact bat, uh, whether that's signing like, kind of like a buy low candidate and he breaks out or, or trading for somebody, I, I think that's kind of the most paramount thing. Um, and, you know, they have some internal guys that can improve. I mean, Royce Lewis has only played 60 some regular season games in his career, or maybe 70. Um, so a full healthy season from him would be that would go a long way too. But um, yeah, I agree with you that impact bat's going to be the I think I think the storyline of the offseason. The hard thing about Buxton is you can't count on it. You know you need it, but you can't count on it. And so how do they kind of account for that going into next season? Does anything give them a bonus, or what do they? What do you think they go into twenty twenty four thinking they get from him? Yeah, I mean, the whole center field question is a big one because Michael A. Taylor is a free agent, too. So uh, not only do you need Byron Buxton, you know, filling that bat and being like we need him to contribute, but you also need a center fielder who, um, you know, Byron hasn't played center field in a major league game in over a year. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a huge question mark is how do you fill center field one um, and two? You know, I, I, I do think that at this point you can't say 
Byron Buxton, you know, our everyday DH and we feel great about it. I don't think yeah. they're going to run it back that way. So, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that you kind of have to look at it as, you know, they're going to count on them for something. I mean, you have to, um, you know, they don't give them the contract they did to say, you know, we're thinking of him as like a bench player or anything. Um, so he's going to be in the lineup, but it, it's, you, I, I think you have to add one more big piece. Um, whether that's, that's probably an outfielder, I would think just based off the way their roster is composed. Um, but I, I, finding a way to, you know, whether that's Byron Buxton, whether that's somebody else, you just need that impact bat, whether it's, they, they need some more power. Yeah. Which is a funny thing to say because they tied for the American League lead in home runs this year, but nobody, no single player had more than like 24, right? It was a weird kind of like half a you know dozen guys almost had double digits, but nobody really, you know, nobody scares you to that big degree you know, like uh, Nelson Cruz used to be here or somebody else. They don't have that kind of one guy that just just terrifies you in that order. Yeah, and I think that's what Joey Gallo was supposed to be, right? I mean, and maybe like Jose Miranda was supposed to be before the season too. Sure. Um, I, I think they planned for some guys to fill that, but it just injuries got in the way or, you know, poor poor performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like Nelson Cruz, I'd be – Think how much deeper the lineup would have been if you just would have had one more guy this postseason that would have would have filled that role. So how do they, you know, payroll wise, you're saying they're probably going to go down because of the Bally deal, maybe just naturally because some of these guys are coming off the books. If it was, you know, over 150 this year, close to 160, what might be a good ballpark that that they would be comfortable with for for 2024, where they'd be, you know, in a good spot financially but still able to compete. Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. I mean, in the past, like 2022 season, I think it was around 140. Uh, and then they jumped it up by about 20 million. Um, so I, I would say probably somewhere in that 120 to 140 range. But you're talking about trying to replace a number two starter, um, trying to replace, trying to add an impact bat. Um, you know, th- those are costly options that, you know, like, like I mentioned with like Jorge Polanco and some of the younger infielders, you have options on the trade market if you want to explore those. Um, but you know, the, the, those are, those are tough trades to make too. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think payroll wise, I think you can make it fit where, um, maybe you don't have the depth that you probably did this year, not the same quality. I mean, you, they entered the season with like eight starters that they felt great about. I, I don't know if that's a realistic thing. I mean, you're going to need like Simeon Wood Richardson to step up in AAA and, um, uh, they have a prospect in AAA, David Festa, who represented them at the futures game, uh, starting pitcher. Maybe those guys, I mean, you're going to need some guys, some of the internal guys to step up. Um, you're going to need the Brooks Lees and the Austin Martins to probably fill quality roles next year, uh, whether they make the opening day roster or they fill in during the middle of the season, kind of kind of like the rookies did this year. So, I mean, you're going to need some more internal options to step up like that. Um, but externally, I, I think even with payroll, assuming I, I'm pretty sure it'll probably drop just like most teams is, um, I, I think there is room there where it's not going to hamstring the team. Cause I mean, this is a win now window. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys in their primes starting with Car- Carlos Correa that, um, you know, the clock's ticking. You can't afford to take a huge step back and, um, you know, kind of give hope to the Cleveland guardians that they can take the division and um, some of the other teams. Good points. All of those Bobby Nightingale appreciate it. I'll let you go get some rest. Although we have a uh, end of year stuff on Friday, right? Yeah, so it it never stops. It'll stop at some point. You got a little gap here between you know free agent, you know end of the season and free agency. But yeah, the 
the hot stove will be heated up soon enough and then uh, you'll be off and running and next thing you know you'll be back in florida for uh for spring training but get the get the downtime while you can uh, great coverage all all year long and uh, we'll talk to you again soon sounds good thanks for having me Really interesting stuff from Bobby Nightingale. Really impressed with his beat coverage this year, jumping in in the middle of the season, really getting to know this team inside and out. And honestly, one of the most interesting things he talked about was the impact of the local TV contract in 2024 and beyond. The Bally Sports North contract expires at the end of this season. Twins went through a whole rigmarole with Diamond Sports during this season trying to get paid the end they eventually did get paid for this season um their contract worth about 55 million dollars a year but that contract is up when the world series ends so just a few weeks from now and this week major league baseball filed a couple of petitions with the bankruptcy court one asking that diamond sports um not be granted the two-month extension that it asked for a couple weeks ago, saying basically, hey, they've had enough time. They need to get their act together. Don't give them another extension. Don't let them keep kicking the can down the road until they get back to another baseball season. They also, in another filing, this is according to Sportico.com, a sports business website, asked the court to make Diamond Sports come to an immediate decision about whether they're going to carry all 12 of their current Major League Baseball teams. It also said in the filing, quote, the number of teams playing under the Bally Sports banner, quote, will almost certainly drop to 11 at the conclusion of this postseason. Now, it didn't explicitly identify which team might be dropped, but of course, the Twins contract is the one that's up. And that, you know, you could imagine that that won't be the Twins partner in 2024 unless something really dramatically changes here with their relationship and where and where they are in their bankruptcy filing. So that's something to consider because even if you don't like Bally Sports, even if you've been frustrated by what's going on, the alternative is still A, unknown, and B, almost certainly won't pay the Twins $55 million a season. That model is changing, shifting, is not going to provide teams with as much money as they were getting from local TV revenue probably in the past. So whatever that number is, isn't necessarily going to come out of team profits, you guys. It's going to come out of payroll to a degree. How much that impacts the Twins' ability to compete, to to put a product on the field next season remains to be seen. Maybe this would have been a year where they shed a little bit of payroll anyway because they've got players coming up because they beefed it up for 2023 with the Correa signing, with Sonny Gray being on the payroll, with Buxton being signed to a long-term deal, things like that. Maybe it would naturally kind of go down at this point anyway. I don't know. What I do know is this. It's going to be interesting to see how much money they eventually get from their local TV deal and how much less it is than $55 million and how much that impacts what they do on the field. We might not even be thinking about all of this right now, though, if the umpiring in the playoffs had been different. That brings me to the cooler. A couple pieces of information brought to my attention. Let's not get into conspiracy theories here necessarily, but you go to the Twitter feed of umpire scorecards. You look at the entirety of the playoffs. Umpire scorecards monitors kind of how balls and strikes um, benefited or didn't benefit teams in every single Major League Baseball game but for throughout the whole season. But it really magnifies things in the playoffs because basically they look at win expectancy, run expectancy based on different scenarios. If a ball is called a strike, a strike is called a ball, that can have a huge 
influence on a game. You know, obviously there's big moments like a 3-2 pitch with the bases loaded. That's an obvious one if it's called incorrectly, but there's even less less obvious ones. A 1-1 pitch with a guy on first base, if it's called a ball instead of a strike, that can influence how much an expected OPS is from a batter by like 200 points. So there is a lot of variance based on small judgments of an inch or two off the plate, on the plate, things like that. The Twins were not the beneficiary of calls in the postseason. All but one game, the their opponent had an, had a higher expected runs than they did based on the missed calls in the game. It was really egregious in the Toronto series, which I didn't quite realize. Like Toronto's expected runs in the three one opener, um, Toronto was expected to score one point four six more runs in that game than the Twins, even though the Twins won three to one. That's how bad the missed calls were against the Twins. It was about a run different in that 2 nothing shutout win that allowed the Twins to advance. And then all except for, ironically, the 9-1 game against Houston, the Twins were on the short end of it as well, including the, f- the final game of the series. Houston was expected to score about a half a run more than the Twins based on the missed ball strike calls in that game, balancing out to be more in Houston's favor than the Twins. Now, in that game, it was a little bit more subtle. Probably the biggest one coming in the sixth inning when a 2-2 pitch to Max Kepler was called a strike. Royce Lewis was running on the play. Looked like Royce would have had that bag stolen, so he would have been runner on second. Two outs, Max Kepler at the plate with a full count and a 3-2 to two game at that point. You know, those are more subtle. I don't know. I don't know how we how we kind of parse all of this out over the course of everything, but I do know this that did not go the twins way. And there's another site that kind of quantified just how many missed calls there were against the twins. The site Pitch Profiler, uh, this is the the X uh, the X account Pitch Profiler said twins hitters saw 18 strikes incorrect incorrectly called against them throughout the postseason tied for the most this was a tweet yesterday pitchers had 20 strikes incorrectly called balls which is the most in total they had 38 incorrect calls against them by far the most texas is next at 27 now at the time of this tweet, the Twins had played one more game in the postseason than any other team. They had played six games. Nobody else had played more than five. So let's take that into account. Let's also take into account on the hitting side, at least, that Twins batters take a lot of pitches and give umpires a lot of chances to make bad calls or good calls in their favor, but to make, give the umpires a lot of chances to make calls, you know, called strikes one way or the other, especially incorrect calls, if that's all we're looking at in this case. So those two things are a factor, but take this in combination with the fact that they were getting, you know, giving up basically a lot of times like a half a run to a run per game on missed calls during the postseason. It all adds up. Not saying this is a conspiracy theory, not saying this was intentional, just saying the umpiring did them no favors. And if it had been better, if maybe one of those games against Houston is called differently, we're probably talking about a game five tonight instead of a end of season wrap up. That's all I know about that. That will do it for me today. Thanks for joining me all week. Should be tons of good stuff coming up next week. Roycey on Monday, and we'll go from there. Thanks so much for joining me. Back at it again in a few days.